Hello, TTB community. I am Elliot Chibley, and here with me, as always, is the pertinacious Robert DeMena. Each week, we like to bring you insight from travel authors, adventurers, conservationists, digital nomads, tour guides, and our own personal travel experiences. This week on the podcast, we have Matt Jacob. He is a photographer whose main artistic discipline focuses on capturing the evocative, dynamic, and complex lives of humans within different cultures and subcultures around the world. In this episode, we talked to him about The Cowboy, a project that he he completed in, in Utah. It was a great conversation, lots of information, and lots of insight into this little American subculture. So, this week's travel tip of the week, download the airline app for a million different reasons. One, it helps you check in and gives you um, updates on whether or not your flight's canceled, delays, things like that, but it also can provide a map of the airport, which can help you find food faster, find the bathroom faster, and good insight on just COVID precautions, things like that. So really, really good idea, I think, to have that. You can delete it after you're done. That is it for the, the intro here, but before we get into the show, let's just check out what we have going on. The Traveler's Blueprint offers a travel journal and planner that is available for $7.99 on our website. It is a PDF, so you can fill it out online or in paper, and it is completely reusable. We also offer a Become Your Own Travel Agent five-part video tutorial. Part one is navigation, two is booking airfare, three blogs, research, and reviews, four itinerary building, and five safety, cultural norms, and thoughtful travel. You can find that on our website, and it is $25. We also offer travel consulting. So for more information on that, go to our website and feel free to send us a DM on social media or an email. Lastly, you can join us. And if you want to, you can you can be a part of our travel around table series. That's where we sit down with a group of, of travelers, send us your email with your name, your website, and a few travel related topics that you enjoy discussing. And we will get back to you. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Matt, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us. We're going to have an awesome conversation today with you. You've been with us in the past on one of our travel around tables, and today we're going to dive deeper into your personal photography and talk a little bit about how you got into it and one of your more recent projects. So, can you give us a little bit of background on who you are and how you got into photography and travel? Yeah, um, well, the travel part is easy because I've, I've been uh, a pilot for the best part of 15 years. So um, in that sector, obviously, I, you know, I got to travel a lot and always interested in travel even before I wanted to fly. So um kind of that bug has always been there and fortunately I, I I found a job where you know I could I could travel and you know kind of get paid for it which was you know a dream come true yes. <laughs> so you know that that travel side um is still there I still love it I still get itchy feet if I'm at home for too long so well, the, the the way photography came into it was really gadgets you know boys with toys and and you know I, I had cameras for most of my my childhood certainly the, the teenage years and beyond um and you know i didn't know anything about it obviously but it was just buttons and it was it was a gadget which you know i kind of love so you know that's how i first picked up a camera but it wasn't until really i started flying as a pilot and wanting to 
just capture the memories and capture the places and and most specifically the people I, I met along the way. And that was it. Um, you know, it's kind of organically evolved into, you know, a real passion um, because I just, you know, realized quite quickly what I could do with the camera and that it, you know, it could, um, you know, put smiles on, on faces, including mine. So, uh, yeah, since then, you know, I've been, been doing photography properly for, for five years and quite seriously for the last two or three. So, um, yeah, that's it. Um, is your are your subjects primarily people primarily yeah i i first started doing uh wildlife um and landscapes uh just because i knew nothing else um i first kind of realized that i was okay at it uh when we went on um on a safari back in uh, five five six years ago um but yeah my my interest for that quickly waned because you know i i was interested in telling real kind of human stories behind my images and um you know some some of the the, the photos i saw and the people that i was interested in and that inspired me were portrait photographers so um there's something about a, a human face and and the narrative that's behind that face that just fascinates me Mm -hmm. um you know it's a way that i can get closer to people without actually kind of you know being friends or family with them so yeah i'd, I'd say most of 90 percent of my images are, are, are portraits and um you know i try and stick to that certainly the ones that i publicize or, or put on my page um just because you know then people kind of know what i'm about what was that first story that you told what, what culture pulled you in and made you transition from wildlife and landscapes to people um i don't think it was a one kind of i mean there were a couple of a couple of things um which we'll get onto a second but it was it was more of a transit slower transition because um it was you know i kind of fell into being you know a victim of my circumstance so if i was going away and you know not many of us get to go on safari or get to go and and sit in a place of wildlife we can't do that you know, once every 10 years, probably, if, if you're lucky. So I realized quite quickly that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to kind of um, start out this way. And then I, you know, just wanted to get camera in hand, learn, be better and just practice. And the best way for me to do that was out and about on the street. You know, I was, I was traveling a lot with work, most of most of its cities. So I could just go out with a camera and, uh, you know, and shoot. And I just found myself gravitating towards the people on the street. And then that kind of evolved a bit more into, okay, well, you know, who are these people? And, uh, you know, what can I kind of find out a bit more about them? Not in a documentary kind of way, but just in a you know, human interest. Mm -hmm. And so from then, you know, I coupled with uh, seeing some people who I just kind of fell in love with their photography. Um, Steve McCurry's one, uh, Joey L's another. And these guys, is um just make just beautiful beautiful images and uh they have some kind of impact behind them and, and some real uh, stories to tell and uh that was it i just kind of well, okay that's what i wanted i want to make those kind of those kind of images and i found that my style was kind of naturally suited to, to that anyway so yeah it wasn't kind of a um you know one moment uh essentially but as i kind of looked a bit more into kind of uh, portrait stuff uh, the world opened up to me and and then I kind of realized that they were okay there's this type of people that I didn't even know existed I want to go and 
photograph mentawai tribes perfect example and that was that was a joey l project that the one in indonesia he did I don't know, 15 years ago, maybe. And I've always had that in my mind that they, they were one of the first images I saw that were kind of that travel, environmental, the culture of photography that, that I saw. And I just, I just fell in love with it. I thought, okay, I want to do that. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's the, the circumstances allow me to kind of do that because you know, I get to travel with a camera and there's no reason I can't go and find these people. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, I think, have you found that with your travel and with the, the uh, intention of finding individuals or subsets of cultures, you've noticed that there are way more, even within cities and the United States, that there are just so many different types of subcultures out there that have a unique community? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I guess, what drives me on and, and inspires me more because the diversity of of these subcultures or these, these subsets of people I mean, they don't have to be a specific culture i guess just um you know I, I don't it's the only way we can talk about it is kind of grouping people into different groups but it's not like that in real life obviously yeah um you know i i do some work with just pure, pure i actually just did a did a kind of mini mini project with an individual who who had suffered with mental health but was you know to you and me just another person, right? Nothing, you know, specifically special about them or their their background per se, um, and that interests me just as much. So, but yeah, to, to answer your question, I, I find you know, it's, oh wow, who, who's that? What's their story, and why do they fit into that type of subculture? And so, yeah, mm -hmm. there, there's there's so many, so many, including the US, right? And that's what's yeah <laughs> so romantic about this place. It's it's so big, it's so diverse. And uh, so if anything, it's becoming more diverse. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember well, uh, my, I think my geography professor would really appreciate this. Uh, so the first time I, I really got into understanding uh, sociology and human geography was, you know, my, I don't know, second or third year at college. And we had a specific course on identifying and spending time with a subculture. So over the course of a summer, I ended up uh, spending most of my summer with uh, my, it was my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, but she worked with EMTs, emergency medical technicians. Right. And that is a completely different group. Like you, you just think they're exactly like you and I, but they have a very different mentality and it's not like they're all the same, but that EMT subculture is very close. And if you look at EMTs across the United States and in other countries, they're all kind of similar, but while they're all really? similar, they're all, they're all still very different. It's it, to me, it's like a Venn diagram and they all kind of cross yeah. at that EMT line but they also have mm. other aspects of their life. It's so interesting. Like, I think the EMT firefighter, the uh, emergency responders all kind of have that similar personality. Which is what, what do you say that is? They obviously want to help people, right? Obviously they want to help people. And I think they have a little bit of that. Um, I, I don't want to call it like lack of understanding or lack of appreciation for life but like they're they're so selfless that they don't care what happens to them yeah because they they put themselves in the front line and they're they're just like this is it and, it, and i think some of it is the rush 
the adrenaline. The same thing with people that do like base jumping and skydiving, that adrenaline yeah. rush. Well, I think it's it's a willingness for those people. I think you can also throw in the military, right? Like it's a willingness to put themselves um, at risk for the greater good um, or for for other people, yeah. for their community. And I think the camaraderie aspect of that too, because it's tough. Like being a fighter yeah. fighter is tough. Being an EMT yeah. is tough. And you have that yeah. close-knit community of everyone else that's doing it with you. And they're the only people that truly understand what it's like to do that. Yeah. At least so that, that, go, go yeah, ahead. Okay. Well, I'd say that that's that's the real interest for me is, is you know, you take an individual like us and you can get to know them and you, there's not much of a, you know, unless you have a really, you know, uh, wise and, uh, you know, maybe academic and intelligent person who you can just talk to and, and hear so many of their insights about their life that they've led. Most of the interest and fascination for me comes between the interaction. You know, you talked about a Venn diagram. It's a really good analogy because that interaction between each other and more importantly, the, the, the rest of society, because mm -hmm. they are such, you know, generally speaking, they, they're all kind of uh, similar people within their own groups. And then how they actually live and relate in military is a perfect example. They go out into the real, real world and they don't really know how to fit in. Right. And a lot of these people, see things a lot differently to the rest of us and uh you know it's interesting to to see how they actually adapt themselves or each other to living a normal life and, mm -hmm. you know, family life and friends and things like that where they're not at work with that persona they're not you know being that selfless person per se and they're not kind of adding a profession to their their intent so that's the real interest for me yeah yeah that's so let's get into it let's get into it um and, and Elliot, really quickly, <laughs> so I took a class called Cultural Geography, yeah. where we had to analyze uh, architecture and landscapes, and then sort of derive the culture, what culture was utilizing that that landscape or architecture. It was an interesting, and, and we use the United States, obviously, uh, and it's a, it's a good country for that, because it does change. Um, and so Matt, the staying in line with this, you're now in Manhattan, you're in New York City, right? Yeah, the project that you did was in Utah. How different are those two cultures <laughs> right there? How different are those people? Their lives, their day to day, the the architecture. You know, it's it's fascinating. We're still in the same country. Um, I guess ask. I'll, I'll let you answer that question first, and then I do. I do want to take time, and I want to jump into the cowboy. Yeah, um, I mean, they're obviously vastly different, and that's the since I was a boy, the main attraction of the US was that you could go from one side to the other, you know, five hour flight, still be in the same country and have, you know, opposing cultures, opposing landscapes, opposing climate, opposing legislation, um, opposing just sociological, sociological um, situations. And, uh, you know, that just, I, it just fascinates me coming from England where you know we're not even the size of new york maybe in this the state maybe we are i don't know but we're tiny let me put it like that <laughs> so to drive or to fly five hours you're in north of africa or you're southern europe or eastern europe yeah. where you kind of accept that you, well it's a different country different people different language so so here yeah you're totally right and and that's that's you know i just want to see more and more and more and more and more of it 
and uh, compare and contrast. And that's that's literally what it's all about. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well, Matt, does it feel like you were in two different countries at all? New York City to for sure. rural Utah? Yeah. For sure. A lot of the time, a lot of the time, because, um, you know, maybe people from here have been to Utah, but a lot of people where I were in Utah haven't mm -hmm. left the town ever right. or left right. the state. Let's say definitely they've not left the state. So, you know, that they, they perceive it as a different country. Um, so, you know, when you go in, go into those kind of places and they're very, very, very different people um you know it just feels so different it just feels yeah. completely completely opposite which is it's just a good thing it's great yeah it is it, it's fascinating to me still yeah. um I, I think about it a lot <laughs> so, so uh all right matt um me what too. Is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. what is the cowboy what explain this project to us give us the quick overview and then we'll dive into it okay the cowboy uh, um you know, I call it a project. It's, I guess it is a project, but it's a mini project, really, because it's just one family. But, the, you know, the, the cowboy was um, conceived from many, many years ago when I was a child playing cowboys and Indians and uh, just was fascinated with the, you know, how cool the cowboys were. And, uh, you know, then you have the Western movies and I'll talk about that in a minute. But it was just cool. It was just a. For for someone from the UK, you know, an American cowboy was just awesome. It was just like, wow, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. And so I'd always, you know, I didn't really uh, I didn't educate myself maybe enough on uh, on on the cowboys and cowgirls and ranching um, until you know maybe last year when I was you know uh, I I accepted that I'd be spending a lot more time in the US with my job and um, you know much like my home country UK and where I live in Hong Kong. They're probably the least photographed places uh, I, I've, I've done just because, you know, when you live somewhere or you're there a lot, it's like, well, it's just kind of my second home or, you know, I'm here with work. It's not really, you don't really think about it like that. So or with COVID and everything and, and less kind of personal project stuff I would do, um, you know, maybe elsewhere around the world. Um, I realized, well, hang on a minute, there's some really amazing stories amazing people here in the u.s and if i get some time off i'm I, cowboys was at the, the top of my list um just mainly because of aesthetics you know i knew they'd make some really cool photos and i didn't quite understand the depth of uh story that that, that would be there when when i met the people so the original plan was to visit some you know a few different ranches in the space of a week and hopefully go on a cattle drive with them and just kind of live in their environment for for three or four days and then hopefully get two or three days of, of photos with whoever I, I was with and it ended up being um you know just one family the but the button family who were probably some of the nicest people I've I've ever met super friendly super welcoming didn't ask for anything um and uh they were the first people to pick up the phone when i was phoning around different places i uh i did some research and you know obviously montana and wyoming were kind of the the most popular places for tourists and i didn't want to go um to kind of a touristy place where they did tours and things like that and it was they're quite difficult to get to and i had i had a week off basically between work and uh, I was already in the US, so I, I want a direct flight somewhere easy to get to. People who were warm and friendly didn't kind of want a quick buck at the end of it. And 
and Utah was a state that I hadn't been to before. So I was like, I want to go to Monument Valley, maybe um, Grand Escalante Staircase, Zion National Park, all these kind of places that I knew would make a beautiful backdrop against the story that is the Cowboys. So mm-hmm. all of that kind of formulated into, you know, Danny Button, um, the, the Cowboy, picking up the phone to me and just going, yeah, come whenever you want. Um, we work seven days a week. Um, I'll give you whatever I can. You know, we're busy all the time. Um, if you want to just follow us. And I said, yeah, I'll just, even if I come out with one shot, um, you know, it was the experience that I, I wanted. And most of the time, once they warm up to me, uh, I can I can get some you know, shots with them. And, and, and actually, all I needed in the end was an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening. Um, and I spent the first, you know, three or four days with them just, um eating with them and going out on horses with them and um just talking to them getting to know them getting to know their struggles at the moment getting to know how they came to where they are and and how they work and family dynamic and all that kind of stuff so um i think i gave you a really long answer there but hopefully that was uh that answered your question (laughs) Well, you have you have the entire well, I, I believe it's your collection on your website for the cowboy. And it, it is really interesting to look at because it doesn't look like anything in almost all of those photos. It doesn't look like there's really anything that shows that it's the 21st century. Right. And it, it, it's almost a culture that has stayed in that era of, you know, ranching and the Midwest, you know, 17, 1800s. The only, I think the only photo that really shows the modern age is the the new tractor at yeah. dusk. <laughs> uh, yeah. But it is so fascinating. So t- can you tell us a little bit more about what the Cowboys, what the Button family actually does? Because is it is it that they are truly cattle herders or do they still farm? Yeah, both. Um and I'm glad you kind of pick, picked up on that because, you know, photography is all about the perception of the photographer. And, uh, you know, that was that was my perception going in. Um, and I kind of already knew it just through my research. And a lot of the the other ranches I phoned and spoke to, they, they said, yeah, we don't really do authentic kind of uh, cattle herding anymore. We use a lot of machines and we're basically a farm. I said, like, okay, well, you know, I could still kind of be interested in that and, um I wanted as much of an authentic cowboy ranch as possible. And, uh, you know, when I spoke to Danny, he said, yeah, we, we use tractors and we use um, uh, uh, hay balers and things like that. But most of the time we're on horseback. Perfect. So, yeah, some of those images, they're, they're with machines that, are, that go back to you know, 1950, 1940, mm-hmm. and they've just kind of kept lying around their farm. But when you pull up to the farm, it's it's or actually Kanab the town is super old school um it's it's kind of resisted as much of the the modern way of life as possible because they they have a heritage that they they cling on to the western movie kind of small little hollywood i think they call it from the from the western that's where a lot a lot of the most of the western movies were filmed so they kind of have this identity which is great and they have a lot of the old school movie set stuff uh, lying around the town and all the old tractors that don't get used anymore but look really cool all the really old like 50 60 year old barns that haven't been um kind of haven't been maintained for that time and it's just had a really nice kind of old school um feeling about it so yeah um they 
they do twice a year they do cattle herding so in the spring and and the autumn when the cattle need to be moved from across the state line between utah and arizona other than that they are generally and i i i took the 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 mick out of danny because he's generally a handyman they uh they fix everything in the town he says no to no to to nothing so he's does uh all kind of odd odd jobs but mainly they they're farmers they uh they they uh grow grass they grow hay they sell the hay and uh twice a year they sell meat from from the cattle so um that's basically it and everything in between is fixing fences where cattle have escaped looking after neighbors cattle if they can't do it themselves you know they're well known in the town for having the the horse infrastructure and the people they have quite a big family and uh people that can help them uh, go and get cattle if they need to go and get cattle go and uh, fix fences go and fix uh barns or uh cattle stops or um tractors or anything they they generally kind of the towns go to people so um yeah but yeah. twice a year they do big big cattle runs and then they go and um sell the meat at, at auction basically and and okay. that's kind of potluck they they don't know whether they're going to have a good year or a bad year and it's completely dictated by demand and supply really wow how big is their ranch uh the ranch itself that's a good question i can't put a number to it but they have um very pretty small ranch uh at their house and then they have other kind of bits of land dotted around southern utah and and northern arizona so okay um yeah i can't remember to be honest how many hectares no did you your time there did you only spend it there as a photographer or did they put you to work did you really dig in and and learn <laughs> how to how to be a farmer <laughs> uh i did a little bit um, yeah. i offered my services but i quickly realized that i was just going to get away um yeah you know i yeah. i helped a few kind of minor jobs certainly with the horses and stables because i love animals and i could have spent all day with the horses but yeah i um you know danny was a guy that was just bang 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 and if anyone kind of his family said he's notorious for not paying for a, an assistant or paying for another helper who can who can help him on the farm because he just wants to do the stuff himself gets it done right gets it done quickly and i sensed that pretty much straight away as soon as i tried to help him i was like okay it's better for me that i don't do any work because i'm lazy and it's better for you <laughs> that i don't get in your way so uh yeah i felt a bit bad i should, probably should have helped more but no i didn't really <laughs> help much at all but i gave him some nice images so it sounds like you might have helped by not helping yeah so yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the story of my life yeah. <laughs> so is it so the button family is that the only people that tend to the button farm it sounds like um they often or sometimes will bring in assistant an assistant to yeah. help manage but how big is the button family um yeah it's uh, let me get this let me get this straight it's obviously Danny and Natalie husband and wife and they his parents who left in the farm passed away a couple of years ago so they didn't have any elder generation with them okay um but they have three daughters and uh two of those daughters are um married and uh so they have the 
uh, so three daughters and one son two of the daughters married so they have the, the, the spouses to help out as well where needed and their son works with him uh full-time jt works with danny full-time so there's that father-son relationship which is really nice actually and they seem to get on get on really well for, for father and son so yeah what's that like seven or eight of them yeah um but the the, the small the town is, you know, the farming community in that town is, uh, and I guess it is in most rural areas, but they're so close and they all help each other out. So, you know, every day I met someone new that had come around to help or do a job with him or buy some hay from him. They all know each other and it's just a really nice little community. So there's the family, but they, they work with a lot of other people as well. Did okay. did the community find you, this guy from the UK, just as interesting as you were finding their culture? Absolutely, yeah. And I'm kind of used to that now because most places I travel, um, yeah, I'm the big, burly white guy with a with a camera stuck in someone's face. So I'm kind of used to that. Um, but it was a little bit surprising how kind of small town Utah was. So kind of, oh, um, what's he doing? <laughs> why why does he want to take photos of us and that's how you know um, you're in the right yeah, place yeah exactly yeah so yeah there was uh because i was there for a long time usually people go to Kanab for one or two nights as they're transitioning traveling throughout the state going on you know going going to the national parks and things like that and they'll they'll stop over in Kanab. so i stayed in my lodge i think it's just seven nights and they were just like who, who is this guy so by the time, by the end of that week, you know, I was known as the the, the English guy with the English guy with the camera. Yeah. And uh, I think, yeah, word travels pretty quickly. But they were yeah. super nice with it. You know, I didn't have any kind of hostility or no one said no to anything. And it was just an absolute pleasure to, to, to be with those people. And is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below the waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. Enjoy 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code TTB at manscaped.com. Do not travel to the Netherlands or anywhere for that matter with untamed nether regions. Elliot and I do not, and we bring this with us on our trips. On the Traveler's Blueprint, we promote concise travel planning, and part of that planning is making sure you pack appropriately. The Lawnmower 4.0 is lightweight, has a travel lock, a light for close shaving, and a battery length that will last long into your trips. You got it. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TTB at manscaped.com. Your, Your balls, balls will, will thank, thank you. you. <laughs> and so uh, I read through your your summary of the project, and you did discuss that you um, that there's issues that these farmers face. Um, you listed off climate change, sanctions, meat trade, and politics. Um, which ones did you find? Which which of these issues did you find the most interesting, and and why? Um, climate change, I think. Well, to, to... <clears throat> two of them were the most interesting that, that, that were visceral to, to Danny and his family because um, the climate change, I mean, the climate uh, is a big issue just because of hay. Um, hay is uh, obviously grass is what the cattle feed on. And then they sell grass hay uh, at, at the, the rest uh, the, throughout the year, for the rest of the year. So really their whole business model is about grass. And if they don't get good grass, then you know they they suffer they suffer with the quality of the cattle um 
So they'll get less money at the market for their cattle and they'll suffer with the amount of, of hay that they can produce. So the less hay, the more expensive it may be or the, the less demand there is or the more demand. There is. And it's just completely, it's very, very volatile. So there's that. And the, the other kind of um, issue that they were very, very uh, strongly felt about was the National Monument, the, the Grand Escalante Staircase, the National Monument of which their ranch sits in. Now, when, um, I didn't want to get this right. When Trump came into power, mm-hmm. um, he released some of that uh, monument as non-monument, as in like now it's, it's public land private. again. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, now it's back, they've expanded it again. And that means that they get more tourists on their land. They can't do what they want with the land without paying significant taxes. Basically, it's a protected area that tourists can come in and just do what they want with. So they have less control and they have less less quality of their land, basically. And uh, they really kind of suffer from that. And, uh, you know, it shows. And so they, they have to work extra hard, basically. They have to work extra hard with uh, getting water supplies I and mean, that's another climate change issue if they had not had rain there wait when was i there they had not re- had rain there before i got there for 18 months wow. 18 months no rain that's like a and they had one day where it, it kind of drizzled a bit there was some light rain when i was there and the rest of the time it was clear you know to see from photos it was just super clear <clears throat> 18 months without rain i was like how do you you know, do, do water is rationed throughout the town and throughout the state, and uh, you know, so they can't, uh, they can give water to the cattle, but they have to get the cattle from the town supply, fill up a load of, uh, um, you know, water, uh, what do you call them, containers, basically, drive them out to the cattle, and then you know, basically distribute the water to the cattle. So that's like a whole day's work, and then they have to do that every week basically whereas before you know it's irrigated most of the stuff's irrigated and they can just fill up the troughs and and cattle can kind of um you know graze and, and drink the water when they need to so it's, it's a lot yeah. more a lot more intensive for them these days and um yeah you know add in um people not want to consume as much meat maybe um people a bit more concerned about climate change than, you know then, then their real produce gets gets questioned that's something that that i i have been saying to people that i've discussed this with the united states and and i I don't want to get into the politics around climate change um but too much but um come on (laughs) (laughs) the united states uh as as a government um and as a as a population i do not think will strongly support significant legislation for climate change until it impacts a significant amount of the farmers in this country. Once we see that it's impacting our food supply, and it's going to, uh, in a significant way, we as a nation are not going to push that needle because we need the population behind it. And right now, climate change is impacting, uh, obviously, the United States, as Matt, you just mentioned, but it's impacting island nations, it's impacting countries that are in the equator, and they're taking the brunt of it. They're already unable to grow uh, crops. And they're already seeing it in a significant way. But once it hits the Midwest in the United States, we will see we will see the the talk of how we change it go up 
a lot. Well, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to take like a Dust Bowl kind of right. event. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's, I think it's, uh, it's about the perception of, you know, the, the problem with climate change issues, certainly in the States and uh, a lot of other countries, is that people think it's this kind of airy-fairy, um, you know, thing that Greta Thunberg and people that, you know, want to drive electric cars care about. Right. And, you know, right. this kind of hippie methodology. But so you're right, until they actually get, you know, the, the narrative behind climate change is that it's going to, directly impact people's welfare and people's livelihoods then you know i don't think any significant action or or u-turns or, or change in that approach will will have effect so you know and, and that's you know that's the, kind of the the nice part about being a photographer you can kind of show a little bit about that and hopefully people like you guys ask a bit more questions but hopefully that kind of illuminates you know that, that these guys these lovely people just trying to make a, a living. And, you know, I, I'm, I disagreed with them about a lot of things, but I, I understood that they were at the front lines of certain, certain things that were, that were happening in the world today. And that they were having, they were the first barriers to have to deal with this kind of stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not us as consumers. It's these guys trying to keep, you know, food on their family's table. And it, and it is that serious. Um, so, you know, you can see both sides and it's, there is no solution, uh, quick solution that's going to help everyone. There's always going to be a, a winner and a loser. Right? I, I think to expand on this, we have, we have uh, in the United States, I think we are very sympathetic individuals. So meaning that, you know, if we, if we understand something from our own perspective that someone else is going through, then it makes yeah. it easier for us to change what we're doing because we've gone through it. But I think we're really lacking in empathy being able to put ourselves in other people's shoes to understand what they're going through. And that empathy that, or I should say that lack of empathy is why we're not progressing towards more action on climate change. We're reactive, not proactive. Yeah. Yeah. But why? So this, I couldn't have said it better myself and I'm fascinated by this. And, um, you know, I, I'm the biggest advocate for Americans in America. But the one thing that I think Americans by default are lacking is that empathy and especially international empathy. And I think yes. the reason yeah. why that is, is because of the country's so fucking huge, right? They, a lot of people don't need to understand what's going on in Europe, in Africa, and in, they don't need to. They, they should be educated on it, but they care about what's going on, on their doorstep, let alone in Utah, which, okay, say from New York or, or Jersey, you know, you, you don't care about what's going on. You, you, I mean, it's literally the other side of the country. It's a five-hour flight away. Yeah. So I think that that kind of geographical, um, you know, handcuffs, essentially, I think means that Americans are generally, generally speaking, less kind of empathetic with, you know, people that are, you know, maybe in completely different circumstances or right. different nat nationalities or different e economies or different cultures. And so um, it's really apparent to us when we travel internationally and when we talk to people, they're very familiar with United States politics. And that is because it almost always has a direct impact on their nation where, you know, yeah. politics that happen in France or the UK or South Africa, those politics really don't impact individuals in the United States. And therefore, yeah. people in the United States don't follow international policy. 
Yeah. Because, yeah, we don't need to. So not only are we geographically massive and diverse, but we're also geographically isolated from the rest of the world in a lot of ways. Like yeah. we don't, we're not tied to Europe in, in, in any significant way. And because of the past few decades of how strong we've been economically, we haven't really had to rely on it. We've sort of been at the forefront yep. of a lot of things. Um, so we, we haven't been forced to care. And you can kind of tie it to the weird human dynamic where you don't really, how often do you, how many people die in the news every day? And you care. You're like that, that, that's, that you feel that. But you're over it the next yeah. day because human nature doesn't really allow you or force you to care about all these people dying. Because if you did, you'd be sad all day. All the time. And yeah, you can't. Yep. You can't. And so I think you can you can sort of marry it to the, the, the environmental aspect of things, the financial aspect of things. Like, you know, you hear about people suffering in other nations and you care. But how much can you care? You care. And it sounds unempathetic in saying that, but I guess that's the point of this discussion is that we're... <laughs> well, I think that gets you know, into I, a I study of human psychology at this point because, mm -hmm. I mean, we only we are physically only able... There have been many studies that show we're physically only able to like truly remember up to around four or 500 people, and that's like acquaintances, and that's your like max capacity. Wow. And that's like that's, that's names, that's faces, that's how you met them. So you might remember like names, but you might not remember how exactly you met them. And every time you meet someone new, someone else kind of gets booted out. So where does, um, yeah, this is an interesting, really interesting conversation, but I think where, where this gets kind of sliced into is, is, is the advocacy for travel, right? And this is kind of why we're, we're yes. all together chatting here, because I think travel is, is kind of the antidote to a lot of this ignorance. And a lot of this, uh, you know, and by the way, I'm not blaming, you know, everyone is, is like this to some respect. And uh, like you cited that, that individual study, or a study on individuals. And, uh, you know, so it's not America. It's just America by default is, is kind of a bit more entwined like that with their economy, with their geography. Um, but I think travel, I think this is why I, go, I you know, I really want more people to travel as much as possible. And it's obviously difficult right now, but. As soon as you go and see a different culture or a different, or a different culture, just a different place, and you go, oh, they do things a bit differently here. Why do they do things a bit differently? Is it mm -hmm. better? Is it the same? Is it worse? You know, what do they have at stake? What are their main uh, you know, motivators? And when you experience a different society, whether that's New York, Utah, France, UK, Uganda, whatever. Um, I think that really, really cuts through or at least dilutes a bit of people's ignorance. And so when you go back home, um, you know, and this is not just from one trip, it's, you know, just generally traveling. When you go back home, you have that, you just kind of build a little bit more empathy. And I really do believe in that because it's, it's happened to me and I know it's happened to you guys. You just have a li little bit more better perspective on life and understanding of why people do do things absolutely yeah. i think we have such a, a privilege in the united states to be able to see a yeah. subculture at like it is so diverse you could yeah. go into someone's house like a block away that is a very different culture than your own than yeah. the one you're used to but the reason travel is so important is because while we might be able to have access to that diversity a block away we're probably not going to find it because we don't know it's there Whereas if we go to France from, you know, Salt Lake City, it's going to be a vastly different culture. Yeah. Because yeah. you're surrounded by it.
It's just yeah. so present. It's in your face. Yeah. And you're already mentally aware of that, right? Yeah. You're already mentally, you know, different country and immediately your brain goes, oh, okay, or different people. Different. So you kind of braced yeah. a bit more for it and you're more open and willing to, to learn. Right? Yeah. So if you walk across the street, just like, well, someone across the street. Right. So it's just, it's just a weird psychology. Fascinating. So- uh, in in college, I was a resident assistant, and part of that, you had to go through. You actually had to go through a large training program in order to become an RA. And what? It, sorry, what is that? What is a resident? Assistant? A resident assistant is someone that stays in the dormitories and basically oversees thirty or forty kids that are also staying there. Okay, so they're I, I don't know. They're like kind of like a chaperone. Sort of like you, you manage you, you make sure everything. You make sure they're not getting too drunk. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> okay, you help okay. them out if you have questions, <laughs> um, if things are getting out of hand, or if they're if someone's not feeling great, then you you're kind of like their first point of contact and help them either get the help they need or you know work things out. If they're like resident conflicts, like if someone's not happy with their roommate, then you have to mediate. And if you can't mediate, then you got to go take them somewhere else. Got it. So as part of that training, we really had to broaden our horizons and because Penn State University is very large and it has a large international population as well. So okay. one of the courses was, uh, or I guess one of, a piece of that course was spending time with a different culture that you have, haven't been a part of or know very little about. So one of my friends from high school who is Muslim uh, ended up being at Penn State with me and in high school, I was good friends with him, didn't really understand his his heritage, his religion. But at Penn State, I was able to go to um, prayer, called a prayer with him, which typically wow. uh, white people, non-Muslims are not allowed to go to. But because Penn State is fairly inclusive, uh, we were cool. able to access that. And it, it is very, very different. And that is what I was talking about earlier, about having that access to diversity right next to you in the United States. Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the light at the end of the tunnel, on. right? For this whole conversation is, uh, we're all the same, right? Yeah. And then that's and then that's what what then allows you to open the doors to being more empathetic and understanding. Of yeah. different and I think it's just our interests that are different, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's percep- it, it's perceptions. I, I talk to to guys about this all the time. It's 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 perceptions are not. Uh, deliberate right perceptions are born of genetics and environmental factors over in my case 40 years or 20 years however old you are and uh you know it's it's born of everything that you're made up of and uh that's all it is and like you said bob i, I couldn't have said it better myself we're all people at the end of the day all people you know and that's why travel is great because you just go well what, what, why is everyone fighting and why is everyone full of hate and why is everyone this and that this and that and uh because we're all just humans at the end of the day trying to survive essentially yeah. and yeah. uh yeah and, and just because we have different perceptions on life and different stories to tell it doesn't mean that you know we can't kind of come together and and pose for a photograph for me yeah <laughs> and, and not to be grim but we all end up in the same place exactly right right well it right. depends what you believe in but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. very true uh, well, Matt. So I, I think we've we've essentially summarized it throughout this conversation. But is there one thing that you pulled from your experience in Utah with the Button family that you want to share with us? Um, I, I, not. 
I mean, really, you know, kind of what we talked about in terms of the farming industry and, you know, what real life is for cowboys. It's not, it's not the glamour that I thought maybe it was uh, when I was a little boy. Um, and, you know, they work, they're the, some of the hardest workers I've ever come across. And, uh, seven days you know, a week, seen, right? And it's a, it's yeah, a it's seven days a week. When they're baling hay, it's one, two in the morning. They'll get up in the middle of the night and go and bale hay. And, uh, and that's once a week or whatever it is. So these guys are, are seriously humble, genuine, and uh, definitely some of the nicest people I've, I've ever had the pleasure of, of being around. And that wasn't just maybe one instant instance of a family. It was everyone I met in that town. So um, go and visit. And it's a lovely, lovely place. The landscape is breathtaking. And uh, yeah, I think this time of year, probably start getting some snow on the, the mountain cap. Mm. So yeah, it's uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful place, both you know, in terms of the people there and and the landscape. So um I'd love to go back. Yeah, yeah. I, I love it, Matt. And and you know what, if you're listening to this, I know a significant portion of our listeners are in New York and California. Yes. Right. So uh if you're listening to this, I want you to it's a it's a thought provoking challenge, I guess, uh to acknowledge or think about where your steak came from where your vegetables are coming from and realize that it really isn't that far away not only is it it's not that far away but um it, it, well i guess and then there's also the cultural difference of of where it came from compared to where you are but i guess i ultimately i don't know what the the end game is but just think about it <laughs> think about where you <laughs> think about it that's it think, think about, about where it. your food comes yeah. from right yeah talk to your neighbor Find out more about them. <laughs> I lost my train of thought there. Absolutely. But I, I had yeah. something to go in. Um, uh, Matt, so thank you. This is this is a beautiful conversation. I I, I loved it. I loved mm -hmm. every second of it. Um, we didn't do this last time you were on because you were on a travel round table. So we were with yeah. a group of people. But we have a rapid fire round that we do with our our single guests. Before okay. we get into that, though, uh, I want you to take a moment to share your website, share your social media. Where can people check out these beautiful pictures of the cowboy uh, and all your other work and follow future projects? Uh, MattJacobPhotography.com, www.MattJacobPhotography.com. Uh, I've actually just launched a, a new site, um, which is which is a bit more aimed at, uh, at selling some of these prints and, and books. Um, so you can find me on there and, and some, you know, some written stories. I actually need to, to write the, the story of the Cowboys. So that'll be up next week. Okay. Um, and Instagram, Matt Jacob photography and Facebook, Matt Jacob photography one. Um, and that's it. Uh, awesome. hope to see everyone there and thanks for following if you do. Yeah. And of course that, that will be in the show notes for the conversation. Absolutely. Cool. All right. Kick it uh, off, Bob. All right. Uh, Matt. What's the first word that comes to your mind when you hear the word travel? Culture. Beautiful. What travel book had the biggest influence on your life? Ooh. Um, uh, t any time out guide, basically. What is it? Time, time out. Time guide? out. Yeah. 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 I haven't heard of those. No. Time out yeah. guides, the guides to the cities or the countries that. That you're going to. I used to read them. Uh, uh, had a whole collection of them, depending on where I wanted to go. Oh, yeah, interesting. interesting! I have yeah. not heard. I'm gonna have to no. look those up after this. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next one. So, from these three options, what aspect of travel has the biggest impact on your experience? History, architecture, food, or people? People. Yeah. 
Uh, we haven't had anyone respond differently yet. No, maybe. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. uh, that's what it's all about. Yeah, yeah I mean, we might have to tweak that a little bit. I think bit we might have to. Bit. Well, I think if you respond to history, or architecture, or food, that's still the people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, so, I mean, just to go into it, if I were to answer this question, for me, it's history and architecture. Now, you got to pick yeah, one. I, I understand it's tied to the people. But it's the history of the architecture. Like I love, I, that's why I love Europe. That's why I love going to Rome and, and these cities and okay. seeing that. Uh, that's really kind of what gets me ticking because I like to think back to the story. You like behind. to think about the older people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the older people. That yeah. Make the older people. <laughs> right, right, right. All right. Uh, question number four. With a short answer, tell us one thing travelers should definitely not do. Uh, panic. All right. Can you can you elaborate at all on that? Just uh, I just see well, a you said lot short. Of, I, I said s- short answer. I mean I, panic. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I see. Um, I see, and I don't blame people, but you know, travel can be uh, complicated at the best time, especially if you're going to a, um, a difficult place. And it's not. Maybe if you're going London to Paris or London to New York, it's pretty straightforward. But even nowadays, um, you know, people are panicking. Right? They they panic if the hotel gets changed or the airline changes something or, you know, they're already there and they see something they shouldn't see or, or you know, really, really little stuff. Um, a lot to do with the, the logistics of traveling, but, um, and that just adds to the stress and it takes away from the experience of, of traveling. Mm-hmm. So, um, the beauty of traveling for me is that, that things are, are going to go wrong for sure. Um, so just roll with it and, yeah. and use the people, and the architecture and the history of that place to uh, to solve it. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Oh, is this me? Yeah. Um, okay. What is one piece of advice you'd give yourself 10 years ago? Don't panic. No. Um, <laughs> uh, one piece of advice I'd give myself 10 years ago. I would, I would tell myself, are we talking in travel? Anything specific? Anything broaden you your perspectives. Oh, that that uh, is a good question. What to bet on for the Super Bowl? <laughs> buy um, Bitcoin. Yeah, buy right, Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely buy Bitcoin. I probably um, work harder at photography. You know, I wish I started photography earlier. I'm I'm 40 next year, and you know, I'm I'm still learning, still still improving, and. You know, hopefully by 50, I'll be at a stage where I'm kind of um, happy with with the work that I've done. But yeah, I think 10 years ago, I, you know, I was, I picked up a camera every now and then, but I didn't take it seriously. And I wish I'd learned it earlier. And I guess that's the same with everything. And a lot of people certainly going through middle age, wish they had started things earlier or did things that, you know, learn an instrument or something like that. But having had the taste of what I'm, I'm having at the moment with photography, yeah, I reckon 10 years ago, pick up the camera and, and learn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Yep. Sound advice. We can take right, that man, advice. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And uh, shout out to Nikolai for uh, for uh, connecting us. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's great. I need to <laughs> yeah. do another. Yeah. <laughs> do these uh, IG live. Uh, I, not really interviews, just kind of Q&A chats. And uh, yeah, he was one of the first ones I did. And I need to do another one with him because he is... Uh, He's a special man. 
He is a special he man. Is. I saw the one he did with Nancy too. She's actually going to come on uh, at some point in the future. Okay. We've been talking with her. Cool, yeah, she, she's great. great. I think she's. I think now she's in the Omo Valley. I think. Yeah, so, she's oh, been she? traveling. Yeah. So okay. yeah, okay. When, yeah. That's She'll awesome. have some great stories. Yeah, um, when mm-hmm. you speak to her as well. So, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank All you right. very much. It was a pleasure talking with you today and catching up. And learning. Thank about you very much for having me. It was uh, it was an enjoyable conversation. We talked about about a lot of different things in there. Some you real, know, like real stuff. Some of my favorite conversations, and this is a guy that I think we can have on over and over again, and the conversation will always be this much fun. I yeah. love when we can get really philosophical and get these <laughs> thought provoking sort of travel topics going, and and really try to dive into the the human... inner workings of human culture. Yeah. Yeah, love it, love it. Yeah, love it. he's it a great a lot guy. Of fun. So, yeah. thank you for listening. If you want to support the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes or any other podcast platform. Uh, if you are want, are you if you're interested in supporting us financially, you can do so by purchasing anything from Manscaped.com using the code TTB. It also benefits you. They got great products. You can support us for as little as a dollar a month through Patreon, or you can purchase some of our own TTB apparel at Redbubble or TeePublic. And we greatly appreciate your support of the show through all these years. Uh, Stay tuned for next week's episode. Thanks for listening.